You want to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. If you hadn't guessed it, we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're not exactly where we left off this morning. We're actually skipping over so that we might discuss one verse in depth. And then, Lord willing, later when we approach these things as we ought, if we ever get through the Sermon on the Mount, we'll be able to talk even more about it. A couple of weeks ago, I did what I do sometimes, because you often need to. I went into Radio Shack, and I found Brother Dan Tingle, who works there. I think he runs the show. He denies it, but it looks like it when I go in there anyway, because the one who supposedly does is always in the back hiding, so he must do. But I found Dan there in the floor, and he was putting together some sort of a display. And it was made of cardboard, which immediately would make you think, well, it couldn't be too difficult to put together. No tools required, right? I'm sure it said it on the paper. Now, Dan was a little smarter than you and I might be, because I did notice, now, whether he was following them, I cannot prove, but he did have in his hand a piece of paper, which was two-sided, I believe, and supposedly had the instructions that he would need to follow to put this display together. I don't know if he ever succeeded. I'm assuming he did. And I kind of joked about that, and I realized how difficult those things may be. Have I ever put a display in a store together made of cardboard with instructions or without? No. <laughs> but I've learned in the ten years I've been married and in the eight years I've had children, the grandparents love to give those Christmas gifts that require just that. And I've known all of my life because my daddy taught me well that men do not typically look at those instructions except they be highly intelligent. Because ultimately, whether you and I know it or not, if those instructions be before our face and they be used or if they simply be lying beside us, maybe never even to be opened, ripped from the plastic packaging, You had to follow those instructions, or that part, that piece, that display, that bicycle, whatever, it will not work. It will not go together. But, you know, sometimes you can get by without them. But I tell you, there's an instruction found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 that we must, now hear this last word, we must understand. We all recognize the passage, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What a joyous verse. What an inviting invitation, really, is what it is, because it reminds us of the joys and the pleasures of not only living the Christian life, this side of eternity, but ultimately finding our way into heaven. But do we understand it? I've often quoted the phrase, sometimes it's true, I'm sure it is true about this passage, that familiarity breeds contempt. We hear something said over and over, we hear a verse even in God's Word quoted over and over, and maybe we can quote it, and we look to it and we say, well, that's the preacher's going to talk about Matthew 6.33 again. He wants me to seek first the kingdom of God. I've got that. I know that. That means that if he catches me out here on the street, and he even gets an inkling that I'm putting anything ahead of God, he's going to make an accusation against me. Familiarity breeds contempt. 
there's much more to this verse than that. And it's all found in the wording of it. I found in my years of studying God's Word that God never, He never has a word to be penned by accident. Not one word in the Bible as we know it. And I don't care the translation so long as it be accurately translated. Not one word that God ever inspired at that time, whether it be in the Hebrew or the Greek with a touch of Aramaic, not one word that He ever spoke was spoken just so that God may be heard or just so that someone might be impressed or flattered by His knowledge. Even though we ought to stand here on earth and be in awe of what God would know. Notice this part of the verse. You notice the first phrase there says, but seek ye first. You notice the first two words there, seek ye, or three words, but seek ye. You have to realize that speaks of an obligation. I've said it time and time again within this context, and I mean Matthew chapters 5, 6, and we'll ultimately be in 7, that nothing that Jesus would say would he ever say without making that an absolute imperative. And he used a word that we're going to use for memory's sake tonight, nothing that Jesus would say would be said unto us without it be a demand. Now, God may give us direction, and those directions, you have to understand, are always demands. They're not guides. They're not simply ways of doing things. They're not options. They're not matters of opinion. They're always demanded upon us. They're always put upon us in a way so that you and I might be obligated to do those things. And these first three words say, but seek ye. Now, if I fail to seek, Irregardless of what I know to seek after, and of course the verse reveals that to us, but if I fail to seek anything at all, there's no doubt I'm not fulfilling any kind of demand, whether it be of God or of man. And implied within that seeking implies that it's something that's going to take effort. One of the other passages we're often familiar with, I don't know that we really give it enough attention, we quote it often anyway, it's found in 2 Timothy 2 and 15. There the Bible instructs us, every man, to study. Study to show thyself a proven unto God. A workman need not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word truth. You've often heard mentioned by me, I know, and several others would mention it as they study the passage, that the American Standard Translation gets it a little more correct, gets it a little more understandable, when they translate the word study as two words, give diligence. Because I cannot stand before the throne of God and say, well, God, I did study. I can remember back in 1973, I sat down with a daily Bible reading schedule, and I read the whole of your Bible, read it cover to cover, word for word, God, and therefore I studied. That's not giving diligence. Now, does it take diligence to stick with a Bible reading schedule? Yes, but to give diligence for all of your life? That may apply in 1973, but by 1974, it's time to start over, even if that's what you're planning to do. But this is an obligation. Something that he demands, and not only something he demands, you must see it as direct. Because he says, but seek, what's the next word? But seek ye first. 
It's not a matter of saying, well, God's hoping that His disciples will do this. Or maybe you picture there, He's with His disciples. And the Sermon on the Mount, of course, had multitudes there. And maybe the disciples are up on the front row. You can suppose maybe that they were. And you can suppose, if you'd like to, you'd be wrong in doing it. Say, well, He's specifically talking about those closest to Him. They need to seek first the kingdom of God. Not necessarily the rest of the crowd. Maybe that day someone in the back of the crowd who had been slumbering and sleeping, maybe they popped up a time or two, they heard some statements like this, and they thought within their mind, well, he's not necessarily talking about me. Now, I do like what the King James translators do here and do in nearly every place in the New Testament when they maintain that older English word, ye, Y-E. Why? Because it comes so close to our country understanding of two words, you all, that we've turned into a conjunction, y'all. When Jesus says, seek ye, he's not saying to seek some or to seek a few. He's saying, seek you all, all of you. If you're within the earshot, or by the way, for us today, if we're within hearing through the word of God, that's what Romans ten seventeen says, this is for me. And so just to look at those few words, but seek Ye first. You have to understand there, there's an obligation. But the last word we keep mentioning doesn't speak so much of the obligation as it does the order. Now, this is where we get accusation made against us sometimes as Christians or as preachers when we use this verse to try and encourage someone to make sure that everything in their life is put at least beneath the thought behind God. Because the order here is to seek ye how and when. Seek ye first. Now, we have to first understand the principle. The principle here is that if anything goes ahead of God, it doesn't leave God in first place. I don't know that I have watched any of the Olympics in years and years and years. I know that it's on television for two weeks every two years, and it's usually annoying to me. Now, if you like that or you like a certain sport, that's fine and dandy. I just typically ignore it. But I can remember as a child taking time out when we were children. Part of what we did in my neighborhood anyway was that if football was in season, everybody played football, girls and boys, in somebody's backyard. If basketball was in season, the same would apply. Baseball was in season, the same would apply. Now, in my small town, that's it. There wasn't any more of this track and soccer and whatever. That was it. That was the three. But every two years, the Olympics would come at least through the television, and we would do whatever they were doing. Sometimes the girls motivated this. A few twins, two twin girls up the road from me had talked to all of us, and we spent two weeks doing it. We were tumbling in the yard. We were swinging off tree limbs. We were doing gymnastics. I only remember seeing one of those contests. But I do remember when they brought those three people there. One of them won a gold medal, I think, one a bronze, and one a silver. They stood them up on a platform that was strategically built so that the one who won the gold medal would stand above that which won the silver and the bronze, right? Is that about what they still do? Let's suppose I win the gold medal. And just about the time they're about to take the photographs, just about the time they're about to unveil and to introduce that, they ask me as a gold medal winner to stand on the bottom row. Would I be offended? Is that not what I sometimes do to God? 
I say by word of mouth, God, you are the winner. You are the ultimate in my life. You have deserved the gold medal. And by the way, you give your son. Who wouldn't deserve a gold medal for that? But when it comes to placing him on a podium in my life, he gets the bottom wrong. You have to understand the principle. And you likewise have to understand not only the principle, but the undivided priority. You see, you can't have two gold medals. Oh, I'm sure in modern society, again, I haven't watched it, so you may tell me immediately I'm wrong. I'm sure in modern society, as soft as we've gotten, and nobody can lose, everybody's got to get something out there. I'm sure we have gotten to where we tie gold medals now. But I don't think that's always been the case. You can't put God in first place and anything else anywhere close to Him, let alone let it be a tie. What I mean by that is what good would it do for me to worship God on Sunday, for instance? Let's call this a two-way tie. I worship God on Sunday. God tells me to worship Him both in spirit, that's in attitude, in heart and mind, and likewise in truth. That's according to His Word and His pattern. And I worship Him in that way, exactly the way it's described, in spirit and in truth on Sunday. And then on Monday, turn around and live like the world. Now, is God first if I do that? Not really. But even in my finite mind, when I try to say, well, God, I gave you one day, now I'm going to give the world more. It's got to be undivided. So this verse says, but seek ye. Speaking of the obligation, it says, but seek ye first. Speaking of the order, but go a little bit farther. He says, but seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and, there are two things here. You cannot divide the and there. They're equal to one another. And his righteousness. Now, what does it speak? This doesn't have much to do with the obligation. It has very little to do with the order. But it has everything to do with the object. That's what I seek first. Again, do these priorities, do these things sometimes get confused? Yes. Can the waters oftentimes be muddy? Oh, absolutely they can. I mean, there's a thousand times over in all of our lives, not just yours or mine, but in all of our lives, where we have opportunity, for say, to worship God, just for example, worship God, but we also have opportunity to go here, to go there, to go do this, to do that. But this is the object. And it's interesting to me that even though this object be twofold, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and we'll discuss both, even though it be twofold, it doesn't include anything else. And both of those things intermingle, they intertwine so intricately that they cannot be divided. Because you look at the very first one here, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, what does that tell me? Well, the kingdom of God is, for one, beautiful, is it not? You spend the time when you get home this evening, you can turn to Revelation chapter 21, and many times we read that, and there's bits and pieces there used for different things. But in essence, chapters 21 and 22, at least the latter of the first and the beginning of the last, that has to do with the beautiful description that God gives of what heaven is. Will it actually be that way? Will there actually be streets of gold? Will there actually be this? Will there actually be that? Only heaven itself will tell. But there's no doubt it'll be beautiful. 
Well, if God would establish for me what he would establish for you, it would be beautiful. That's the kingdom of God. There's second to that. There's no doubt for me it will be beneficial. You know, all the things that we do deal with here, for instance, if you go back to that same chapter, chapter 21, and you read verse 8, he gives us a listing there. He says, but the fearful, but the unbelieving, but the abominable, but the murderers, but the whoremongers, but the sorcerers, but the idolaters and liars, watch it, shall not have. They're not going to be there. They will not be in heaven, but they shall have their part in the lake that burneth fire and brimstone. Now, you go forward into that in the chapter 22, and God describes there that all of these types of sins are the sinful types. They are without, out where? With the dogs. Is that beneficial? Well, I hate to know of anyone to die, and I hate to know of anyone to lose their soul. I couldn't be that way because God never was. Second Peter 2 and 9 tells us the Lord was not slack concerning his promises that some man might count slackness, but he, that's God, was long-suffering toward us, were not willing that any should perish. Why should Jim Merle wish that any should perish? I can't. But I tell you what, when I live my life as a child of God, we must all live in this world, or else, as Paul said, we must needs go out of this world to escape it, die. I look forward to a day where sin and death does not reign over anything in my presence. So what do we find about the kingdom of God? We find that it would be beautiful. We find that it would be beneficial. i tell you something else about it. We find that it is beyond measure. And that's because of the fact this kingdom of God that seek ye first, and the object is the kingdom of God, and coupled with that equal to that, his righteousness. It's beyond measure. You ever known of a good man or a good woman? The people like this all over. I think sometimes we try to poke our lip out to where we might trip over it. We think about life and we say, well, you know, it's not like it used to be. When I was growing up, a man's word was worth a lot more. That may be true. But you ever known of a man or a woman, or do you know one now that when they say something, they do it? They fulfill it. Now, they are not going to be sinlessly perfect as God is, but it may be that they are even of such character, maybe they're even a Christian, and more likely they would be, that these people, it seems, it seems, in your mind at least, and you don't know the heart, but it seems that everything that they do is just and right. They always treat people fairly. They always seem to make the right decisions. They always seem to do the right thing. What could you say about that person? They're righteous. All in all, they're righteous. But the object here is to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, that's God's righteousness. Certainly the kingdom of God, therefore, is that which is beautiful. It is that which is beneficial. But when you think about something that's beyond measure, certainly the beauty of heaven may be, but God's righteousness certainly is. But does the verse stop here? No. He says, but seek ye. That has to do with the obligation. He says, but seek ye first. That has to do with the order. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That has to do, my friends, with the object. But I'll tell you what I'm thinking about tonight. I'm thinking about the opportunity. Because he says, but seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things 
shall be added unto you. Now, contextually, when you put it back into the context of Matthew chapter 5 and 6, that's what we've seen thus far. You understand all the things, at least the ones we've already discussed, at least the things that he holds us to a higher standard. Even before that, you found what we call the Beatitudes, all the beautiful things that are said there, and you'll recognize all of them when he says, to begin with in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's pretty good to get. When he goes on in verse 4 and says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I, I need comfort every day. When you see that in verse 5, when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I, I wish I had more, more authority in the earth than I do, because I could maybe use that to my advantage to preach or to teach. When he says in verse 6, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I don't want to be full on God's word, but I, I, I like being able to try when he says in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, so they shall obtain mercy. I don't really seek that in men, but I definitely need it so far as God. When he says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I can see him now through his word, but I want to see him face to face. When they say on in verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, shall they be called the children of God. I'm proud to be called one of them. When he says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I thank God even for those persecutions. When he says in verse 11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's okay if it be because I tell the truth. Paul even said to me, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And then when he says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now, you don't think about this as being a part of the Beatitudes, but it concludes that portion of this text. He says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. But what about this opportunity? Seek you first. Kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I'll tell you what the word all implies. It implies in my mind that it is expensive. Not really any limits. I often illustrate the word all. Sometimes in a Bible study, I'll pull out my car keys and I'll tell someone, you know, if I told you I was going to give you all these keys and that I in turn took one off, have I given you all? And the answer is always no. You still got one, so that's not all. And then I'll turn and use the little catchphrase I like that I understand and enjoy, that you can't get any all of it all. But I'll tell you the truth, that's a lie when it comes to men. But it's never a lie when it comes to God because He does. Matthew 28:18, Jesus about to, to address his disciples concerning the need for teaching the world and baptizing those who were in need of baptism, which is all men at that point. He said, but all power has been given unto me. Who gave it to you, Jesus? God did. All power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. And it's because he got that power that he could then in turn with authority and say, so go ye therefore and teach all nations. How many? Every one of them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The greatest two words, in my opinion, in the whole of the Bible, one is all, because so many times spiritual blessings are tied to that. Salvation is tied to that. Gifts are tied to that as they are here. And the word but. Because I'm on the back side of but, the U-T, every time. 
Paul listed a litany of sins on one occasion, a litany of sins the Corinthians were guilty of being involved in. And then he went on to tell them, he said, but such, but such as were yesterday some of you. Now, is that because they be righteous, or is that, would that be because I be righteous? No, it's because God, through the sending of His Son, allowed me, through His blood, to be released from my sins. And all these things. That speaks of how extensive these things are. Watch what He says next. And all these things, watch it, shall be added. That's not extensive. That's where it becomes exciting. I may live to a point where I obtain certain things, and especially concerning spiritual things. I may live to a point where I grow every day, and I pray to God that I would, that I get to a point like a newborn babe. I desire that sincere milk. I continue to take it in, and every day I have things added to me. God even gave a lengthy list on one occasion of things that had to be added to your faith. Add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, brotherly kind, on and on he goes. That's exciting. But when the God of heaven says all these things shall be added unto you, why would they be added? Because I saw first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He adds them. It's not only extensive, it's not only exciting, I'll tell you something else, it's exclusive. Don't miss this. He says, all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I don't know what you find as you read through the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know what your assumptions might be, whether they be correct or incorrect. I assume we would all be correct in 99% of our thinking at least. We understand this is something that Jesus did. We understand this is something Jesus did. As he spoke to those multitudes, we understand that uh, at least that when he spoke to those multitudes during this time, predominantly he spoke to Jews, not to say that all Jews were going to be saved. They had that mistaken idea. And that's what Paul talked about throughout the book of Romans. It was not because of any blood kinship that they would be saved. But, in essence, at the time in which Jesus spoke, the majority of the Jews, at least, had been God-fearing, God-following people for nearly three or 4,000 years. Under the old law. And then he speaks of a future kingdom. The kingdom of God, the church, heaven, ultimately. Because why? Because he said all these things shall be added unto you. You who? In that crowd that day, the majority of which would have been God-fearing people. But in case that wasn't the case, he only spoke about the ones who met the qualifications in this verse. Who are they? Very simply stated, they are those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Therefore, all these things are added unto them. Now I quote the verse differently when I'm in private. And I like to turn it into a question and say, Do I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all these things shall be added? Unto me. 
If I haven't even obeyed the gospel, I cannot say that. Even the multitudes there on that day, if they would have outlived the Christ, Acts 19 proves this, they would have been called upon by any of the apostles, but in that particular state it was Paul that did it, they would have been called upon to redo, to go back and to start over even in what they were doing. Now they had been with the Christ, they had been with him while he was living, they had been on the old law even before that, but when they were baptized according to John's baptism, which was not complete, it was not the fulfillment of things to come, when they were baptized in that after Christ died on the cross, they had to begin again. Now, none of us are in that state, in that sense, but all of us have need to begin again. You're here tonight and you're not a child of God through faith, repentance. You're confessing the name of Christ, that is to say, as the eunuch did, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's not anybody else. You know, many of the disciples even admitted, Peter in particular admitted when they were questioned, that many around them thought that he may be somebody else. Some thought he was John the Baptist, some Elijah, some just one of the prophets. Basically said he's a pretty good fellow. But until Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, no one had gotten it correct yet. Except you confess him and in turn be baptized into his blood and have your sins be washed away, you haven't even begun to seek first the kingdom of God. And so therefore, this thing that we must understand, either one of two things are present. You either do not understand, or maybe you do not care. I don't think anybody would be in that boat. Maybe you're here tonight and you are a child of God. And for whatever reason, you have not sought first. You have had times in your life when you've sought first. I've had times in my life where I think I've sought God more, perhaps, than I do now. And if I'm being honest and truthful about that, I have to admit, if anything has gone in digression, he's moved down the ladder. And he's in the wrong place. How do I come back? Through prayer and repentance. Asking for forgiveness of those things. If you're in need of these things, won't you do it while together we stand and as we sing?